Psalm 119 is where we will begin. We won't stay there, but we'll start in Psalm 119. And I've telegraphed this message for a while, um, and I have really had to reel it in. This message could have easily been a series. I've tried to have some discipline and keep it to one message and keep it in a bite-sized, in a fun size, I guess they would say. Um, but it, it brings us to an unusual concept, and we've, we've talked about elements of this before. And I, I told you when I came back from my sabbatical that I would not make a point that every message would be about that. But there, if there's things that I've learned that can help you, um, I'd, like to, I'd like to at least touch on them here and there, and that's kind of what this is. Um, during, during my time that leading up to my sabbatical and during the sabbatical, it involved a good deal of pain. Um, now, you understand that there are different types of pain. Some people, even at this moment, are undergoing physical pain. You're hurting. I get it. Now, I'm not suffering like some people are, but I do get persistent pain. And the effect that that can have, not just physically, but it, you remember, we're triune beings. And when one part of that non-God-like trinity, when one part of that is hurting, it affects the rest. If your body's hurting, your spirit hurts. If your spirit's hurting, your soul hurts, and it just works all the way around there. And so some people are hurting physically and everything that comes with that. Some people are hurting in their spirit. Some people are hurting in their, their mind. And in their thinking. Some people are hurting in their emotions. All of us will experience pain. Man's days are few and full of what? Trouble. Pain. But this is one of those truths that I confess I am still working to live. It makes it no less true. But I have not mastered this. But the truth is, pain can be a positive thing. It can be productive. It can be helpful. It can be a positive experience. And so, with that in mind, I wanted to just bring some thoughts on this subject, finding the positives in our pain, finding the positives in our pain. So, Father, would you help us now as we look to your word? Would you guide us and direct us, speak to us? And, uh, Lord, my prayer would be that people in pain would be relieved of that. And if that's your will, that remains my prayer. But Lord, if your pain is serving a purpose, the pain in their lives is serving a purpose, then I pray that we would learn that and just rest in your grace through it. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Finding the positives in our pain. We begin in Psalm 119.71. First of all, pain gauges us. It gauges us. Now, what do I mean by gauging? 
it gives us a reading of our condition. When you have a gauge on something, it's giving you a reading. It's telling you what's going on that you otherwise wouldn't know or couldn't see. Psalm 119.71, the psalmist says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Let's read that again. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. Now, whoever wrote Psalm 119, there's several ideas. Some think David, some think Hezekiah, some think Ezra, Jeremiah. There's a few others that have been proposed. This doesn't mean anything. For what it's worth, I'm really, I'm not going to say I'm convinced, but I'm, 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 in the, uh, I'm in the Daniel camp. There's a lot here to tell me this might have been Daniel. Whoever it is, it's a safe assumption by the content of the psalm that the writer was deeply familiar with the Word of God. Why would I say that? Because there are 175 references to the Word of God. He speaks of the law 25 times, testimonies 23 times, precepts 21 times, statutes 22 times, commandments 22 times, judgment 19 times, ordinances one time, and he speaks of the word 42 times. In fact, of the 176 verses of Psalm 119, only seven of them do not directly mention the Word of God. Sounds to me like this guy, yeah, he's under inspiration, but it also reflects his own heart. This guy's interested in the Word of God. So with that in mind, if we can safely assume that this is somebody who is immersed, could we say a a, a spiritual obsession with the Word of God, it's interesting to me that he would say in verse 71 that his pain helped him to learn God's Word. Hmm. Now, keep that in mind for a second. There there are some people for different reasons. There are some people that have an affliction in which they can't feel pain. Now, this is certainly true for those in different stages of paralysis, but there are some people that are not paralyzed, but they don't process the sensation of pain. And in both cases, when you can't process pain, many times you can have an injury, you can have a problem, you can have an infection, you can have a serious issue, and you don't know about it because you never felt the pain. We don't think of pain as a good thing, but without it, there's a lot we don't know. Some Christians, I think, are so accustomed to their spiritual experience. They're they're, they're so immersed in God's word, and could I say this, Christian culture, that they don't perceive when something is wrong. This is one of the things that led up to my sabbatical. I was so immersed in the work of God and in the word of God that I did not even perceive that something was wrong in my life. So what did God have to do? He used pain to alert me that there was a problem. So 
if this is Daniel, we'll just say this for argument's sake, it's Daniel, there came a point in Daniel's life in which Daniel had to go through some pain because as much of the word as he knew, as, as immersed as he was in the culture, there was still something there that was deficient, something more that he needed to learn, and pain was that gauge that said, you're low, you need more. One of the things I learned about myself, and this is so easy, and I've talked to other preachers about this, this is so easy. We spend so much time working through the Word of God to put together a sermon that we don't spend enough time working through the Word of God to speak here. And there are preachers out there who can preach great messages, and, and under their preaching, scores of people come to Jesus and make good decisions and everything else, but in their own hearts, they are spiritually malnourished. And about the only way God can bring them to understand that is with pain. And maybe, just maybe, and I would not dare tell you why you're going through the pain you are, but I'm giving you some things to think about. Some things I've had to work through and am working through. Again, I'm not 100%, but I wasn't before it started, and I never will be. We never are 100%. And if we think we are 100%, we're in trouble. Jesus is 100%. That's all that matters. You know. But maybe the pain that's in your life is meant to be a gauge to show you this is deficient. There's more for you to learn. There's more for you to have. And we need it to gauge us. Number two. By the way, well, no, never mind. We're still in Psalm 119. Go over to verse 67. The writer says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept thy word. Pain gauges us, but you know what else it's meant to do? It's meant to guard us. The writer admits to having gone astray. But the pain of affliction provided a boundary, a mechanism to keep him where he should be. Paul gives a vivid illustration of this. 2 Corinthians 12, you remember he talked about seeing a vision of the third heaven? And what does he say in verse number 7? And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. What's he saying? God used pain as a boundary. He used pain to guard me and keep me from going where I shouldn't go. David would have understood this principle. In the Middle East, in David's time, when you had a sheep that was constantly going astray, you'd hobble that sheep. Why? Two reasons. One, that sheep could get into trouble. Or two, that sheep could lead others. 
And so he would inflict pain to guard that sheep and to guard the flock. Could it be that, whether it's me or whether it's you, our physical, emotional, mental, or even spiritual pain is in reality a blessed boundary that keeps us from something much worse? I've confided in you in the past when we talk about that thorn in the flesh. I am convinced that a thorn in the flesh doesn't have to be physical. Now, for me, if it is, it's probably my hip, (laughs) my, my lower back. But I don't think it is. For me, it's here. As much as I would love to think that one day I am going to have a fully healthy perspective on things around me, I don't know that I ever will. I think I'm always going to battle insecurities. I think I'm always going to have some of those issues. But what I'm learning, and I'm not there yet, but what I'm learning is maybe, just maybe, though God's not the author of those insecurities, maybe he doesn't give me victory. Maybe he leaves them where they are because they serve his purpose. If we didn't have any insecurities, if we thought that we knew everything, how insufferable would we be? Let me make this clear. I don't think I'm good at anything. I really don't. But if I did, that'd be a problem. And when Paul says, lest I be exalted above measure, maybe right now you can think of some preacher that you've known over the years that if you're honest, they came off as being exalted above measure. Can I tell you, they're not very effective. Maybe God, maybe you're dealing with something emotional. Maybe you're dealing with something mental. Maybe you're dealing with something physical. God may not be the author of that, but can I remind you, even if he's not the author of something, he can use anything. And maybe it's his goodwill to leave that in place, not because he doesn't love you, not because he wants you to suffer, but it is protecting you from something much, much worse. There's so many things I don't like about myself. But I've wondered, maybe the, maybe the reason that I'm not successful in improving my overall image is because God knows I'd use it all wrong. So he keeps me like I am. Because I'm a whole lot easier to manage like that. You know? I'm, I, why am I being so transparent? Because I got a feeling I got a room full of people. You got all kinds of little things that bother you, and you need to know you're not alone. You need to know that we all got weird things about us we don't like. And maybe, just maybe, God lets those weird things stay because he can use them to guard us. You see, pain gauges us and pain guards us. You know what else pain will do? Pain will grow us. 
James chapter 1. Let's find our way there. James chapter 1. I have not abandoned expository preaching. It just hasn't worked out the last couple of services. James chapter 1. There's an old saying. I don't like this saying, but there's an old saying. No pain, no gain. Now, in, in many cases, that's true. There are times that pain is not a gainful thing, you know. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, talking to Christians, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what? Patience. But let patience have her perfect work. Perfect there means maturing. It means growth. Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire Wanting or lacking nothing. I think there's three analogies that fit here. Those of us that are parents, we have, we have all been through our kids coming in and saying, Mom, Dad, my knees hurt. My joints hurt. What's happening there? Usually, it's growing pains. It's indicative of growth. I would be concerned if my children never experienced growing pains. Those pains are part of that child maturing and becoming what God means for them to be. Sometimes as a Christian, you can't explain it any other way than there's pain involved in growing as a Christian. Churches experience growing pains, don't they? Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we had the pain of not having anywhere for people to sit? If we had the pain of parking issues? If if we had the pain of, we've got to minister to all these people and we've got to train some people to do this. These are great pains to have, but they're pain. But they're positive. They're positive. Here's another analogy. If you've ever been injured... You know that there's pain associated with healing. I've talked to a lot of people and I've done a lot of research on open heart surgery because I've pretty much resigned myself to the fact that one day I'm probably going to need it. And I really want to know what's coming. And the more I study about it, the more I wish I didn't know what was coming. But what's interesting to me is one person in particular said the hardest thing for me was the pain of healing here. The sternum, but also the skin. And I got thinking about that, and I said, you know what? I can understand that. I've never felt that, but I can understand that. But that pain is a blessed thing because what does it mean? It means nerves are working and things are happening that should be happening. But it still hurts. And if you've ever had some kind of an injury or surgery in which you had to heal up, you know that pain is indicative a lot of times of healing. Good. There's Christians that have been through a lot. They're healing, but it hurts. It hurts. The third one, believe it or not, I know a little bit about this too. Working out. 
I used to work out quite a bit. And here's what I know. Do you know how you build muscle? You tear it. When, when you exert yourself, there are tiny tears in your muscle tissue that then come back bigger. And if you've ever pushed a workout a little hard, you know the pain. I remember one time in college, I was, man, I was feeling strong that night. And I was just curling, and I was curling, and I was curling. And I'm going to tell you, I felt like a machine. And I went way beyond what I should have. And not too long after that, I could not hold my arms straight. They were like this. And oh, now, now they were swole up. I looked good. But I felt bad. And it was time for me to go to class. And I couldn't go to class like this. So I went in and I grabbed the closet rod and hung from the closet rod and just screamed. In a guy's dorm, you can scream and nobody thinks a thing about it. They just assume there's something going on, you know, that, that you got to work through and you'll be all right. It hurts. But there's growth. In all three contexts, pain is a positive thing. It indicates enhancement or improvement. There can be no growth. There can be no improvement without pain. As a parent, one of the hardest things for me is to see my kids hurt. But I also have to force myself to let them hurt. Because there are certain things in life they will never learn and then ways that they will never grow without pain. And one of the reasons that we're seeing the generation that we are in America is we've got a whole generation of parents that refuse to let their kids want for anything and refuse to let them experience pain. And they became so insufferably entitled that now we can't manage them. And they're about to be the ones that run this country. Some of them already do. Spurgeon said this, he said, men will never become great in divinity until they become great in suffering. And Spurgeon knew something about suffering. Pain gauges us, it guards us, it grows us, but then finally, it grooms us. Now, it's so unfortunate that this word has been hijacked, and now the only time you ever hear about grooming is in a terrible context. But I, I still want to use the word as it is defined. To groom something is to tend to something so as to make it its best. All right, let's start with an animal analogy. If you've got a dog and you want to put that dog in the Westminster Dog Show, you're not going to let that dog run out there without some grooming. You're going to make sure that dog is, you know, the hair is cut just right and everything's just right on that dog. And that dog's been trained so that that dog, and by the way, my, some of my favorite videos are the dogs that did not make the cut. And they got in there and lost their minds at the Westminster Kennel. That's the only time I really want to watch a dog show is when things go wrong. Um, but anyway, they've been groomed. And the thing is, we, we, in a human construct, for instance, if... Let's say, and I, I don't have any thought of this right now, and I'd really not like to think about it right now, but, but, and, and let's just pick somebody as an example. I am not anointing anybody as my successor. 
But let's say that Hunter here is to be the next pastor of this church. And that would suit me just fine because that means I got a little time left. Okay? And let's say that, let's say that as a church... We've been praying about it. You, you've kind of seen the writing on the wall. I'm slowing down. You're about sick of me. And it's time to, you know, start thinking about the next guy. And so we as a church, and it doesn't always work this way, but it's a wonderful thing when it does. The church says, you know what? We really see the hand of God on this young man. And, and uh, you know, and pastor, maybe, maybe we need to start praying about whether or not he's the next guy. What I'm going to do is I'm going to start working with Hunter. I'm going to start grooming him in such a way that I'm trying to make him the best that he can possibly be. Okay? And I'm going to, I'm going to put him under as many influences as I can. I'm going to teach him as much as I can. I'm going to give him everything that he needs. But in that process, there is involved some pain. You're going to beat your successor? No. But I might have to sit him down and say... You could have handled this differently. You kind of blew it on this one over here. By the way, I've blown it many times. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to get him to be the best him he can be for the sake of his own ministry and for you. So, so what am I saying? God is working in us. God is grooming us to make us the best version of ourselves that we can be. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. While you're turning there, Oswald Chambers, who wrote my utmost for his highest, he said, before God can use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. Pain is part of the grooming process. Hebrews 12 verse 5. Again, I am a committed King James guy. I am going to change one word for the sake of the children that are in here, okay? So don't give me any shade about it. I'm doing the parents a favor, okay? Verse 5, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening... Do we all understand that chastening that, that is being referenced here by the writer involves pain? We're not talking about sitting in the corner. We're not talking about timeout. We're talking about chastening. Okay? What's he saying? The Lord whoops us sometimes. Verse 7, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye illegitimate, and not sons. Furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our what? Profit. That we might be partakers of his Holiness. Now, verse 11, we're talking about grooming us to make us the best us that we can be. Now, no chastening, which is painful, for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. 
What's that sound like to you? That sounds like God allowing pain into our lives to make us the best us we can be. More specifically, God will use this process to make us a help to others. Martin Luther said, Affliction is the best book in my library. Only he said it in German. I have no idea what that sounded like. Back to our friend Spurgeon. He said, Heaviness is of essential use to a Christian if he would do good to others. There are none so tender as those who have been skinned themselves. Those who have been in the chamber of affliction know how to comfort those who are there. Do not believe that any man will become a physician unless he walks the hospitals. God is using pain to groom us for a lot of reasons, but maybe that we might minister to other people in pain. I am now uniquely positioned to help people that I couldn't help before. So when that young man comes to me and says, I feel like I've lost my mind. I've been there. When that preacher calls me and says, Man, I just, I can't stop hearing the voices telling me I need to quit. Me too. There's something about speaking to somebody who's been there. And that doesn't mean we don't minister to people if we've never experienced what they experience. But there's something about having been there. For the so what, I'm not going to go back through the points. I'll give them to you real quick. Pain engages us, it guards us, it grows us, and it grooms us. But I think our best so what comes from our friend Peter. Go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's just hear what God inspires Peter to say, and let that be our so what in the matter of the positives in our pain. Chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange. I'm sorry, 1 Peter. Did I say 2 Peter? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, wherefore shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? And watch verse 19. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God 
commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. I'm hurting. Me too. What do we do? Commit the keeping of our souls to him in well-doing because he is our faithful creator. May God help us to see the positives in our pain. Let's stand with our heads bowed, please.